Reading from the St. James Version of St. Matthew, Book 2, Chapter 2, Verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and mirth. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed unto their own country another way. We usually compact a number of stories into the Christmas tradition. And these include the visit of the three kings or three magi or three wise men and so forth and their gifts. And often in our crutches, including the one we display here, you see angels, shepherds, and wise men all together. And it's a sort of a lovely compacting, if you will, of the story. I don't know that it really diminishes it in the least. But it does sometimes prevent us from seeing the real scope, scale, and timeline of what's actually happening. And in this season, if we pay attention to what follows Christmas, there's a revelation that comes to us that's not so much present in the birth story. You see, what happens is an unfolding very early in these Gospels, an unfolding of something that will enrich us and inform us, something that tells us about the very nature, the very character, the very person of the one who has come. In Advent season, we have readings and so forth that are prophetic that point forward to the birth of a Messiah. At Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of the Messiah, the one who has come, 
and we have traditions that surround that and hopefully we keep it in mind for a short period of time. See, what we have is the birth story itself and you know it well. Joseph and Mary, she with child, heavy with child, having to go to Bethlehem for the census. They go to Bethlehem for the census, which is uh, the ancestral home of Joseph. They are there, and she gives birth in the night in a most humble uh, abode or surrounding, a shelter for animals, a cave, a manger, if you will, a place there to the, gives birth to Jesus. Now, there is this real dance that takes place that night, this glorious sort of thing that we talk about and that we celebrate and that's recorded for us, and you know what it is. The heavens light up, and the angels sing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men on whom his favor rests. This is a blessed night. This is a night for celebration. This is a night of glory. This is a night of greatness. But the angel's song is not universally heard. It's not universally noted. We read in the scriptures that they appear to whom? Shepherds who are out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night, the King James says. They're watching their sheep. Jesus appears to these, excuse me, angels appear at the birth of Jesus to these very humble nomadic peoples out in the fields. Just as the circumstances of the birth itself are mysterious and humble and quiet, So the announcement is made to people who are without significant political influence outside of the great cities spoken and celebrated and the shepherds come, don't they, to see this babe who is born, the salvation that has come. But that's Christmas. There's an unfolding to the story that takes place after Christmas. The first part of it takes place in Christmastide, the 12 days of Christmas, because on the eighth day, Jesus is taken to the temple. Let's turn briefly to that story. It is found in Luke 2. Luke also records the shepherds and the angels, and then in verse 21, Jesus is presented in the temple. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Remember the second day of Christmas? All right. 
two turtle doves. This was the offering of the poor. And Joseph and Mary were the poor. And they show up at the temple with their offering. You see, Mary was very fortunate. She had given birth to a boy and her time of uncleanness was only to be seven days. On the eighth day, he's presented. The sacrifice is made. He's named Yeshua, the Lord saves, right there. That had been part of the prophecy, which would be fulfilled. And now this baby is given the name, the Lord saves, as he is circumcised, presented to the Lord. But the revelation continues to unfold. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, that word consolation doesn't seem to mean in contemporary times, uh, at least not in the same depth, as what it meant then. Because we know the word consolation in conjunction with the word prize, don't we? Any game show watchers out there? None. Liars. The loser always gets a consolation prize, which is usually a game board of the game that they were playing and lost, right? Consolation meaning a, a, a sort of a comfort. Uh, oh, well, you didn't win $30,000, but here's an eight ninety nine board game for you. Okay? So that's the context in which we know this word, but it says here in the passage, the consolation of Israel. He's the one who is going to, to repair the hurt, to make up for the loss, to redeem that which has been forfeited, lost, stolen, taken. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now again, in contemporary culture, that's far more often an explicative than it is uh, any word of meaning or substance to us. But Christos is Greek, and it is the same word as Messiah, Messiah. And therefore, when it says the Lord's Christ, it's saying the one the Lord has sent to save. This man had been promised by the Spirit that he would not die until he had seen by the Lord's Christ. 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, praising God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And already we see the first hints at what's coming. There is something for Israel and there is something for Gentiles in this babe. There is a light that has dawned and been born. There is a salvation that has come. There is a prophecy fulfilled and a prophecy being rendered. And this old man speaks forth on the eighth day the first public words about who this babe might be. 
We know this is revelation because even Joseph and Mary marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is a babe who will divide those who believe from those who don't. And as a divisive one, your own soul, your own heart will be rent because he will give his life a ransom for many. Verse 36, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Verse 40, And the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So here in this bris this circumcision, this naming event, this time in the temple is revelation. Yeshua, the Lord saves. Simeon, my eyes have seen the salvation that the Lord has brought. Anna, praising God and extolling. Something is revealed. Something is being spoken. Something is new. We don't know whether it was uh, a collision of Pluto and Venus or you know, however they align. We don't know if it was a comet or an asteroid. We don't know if it was a specially designed entity formed of living heavenly bodies. But these astrologers, most likely Zoroastrians, we don't know for sure. But these astrologers, astrologers, those who studied the heavens for signs, saw an unusual and auspicious sign in the heavens. A star. And they sought to understand it. They had access to Isaiah and some of these old prophecies they decided that they would go find where this star rested above. That they would travel to the source. And they bring gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We're familiar with those stories and those gifts. And we think of them as three wise men or kings or magi, whatever the tradition says. Almost certainly they weren't kings. And almost certainly there weren't three of them. Those just happened to be the types of gifts mentioned. There could have been two or twenty. We don't know. They show up first in Jerusalem, the capital. Why wouldn't you show up in Jerusalem where everything, the center of of life is? And if you're going to show up in the capital and you're looking for a particular royalty, would you not go to the house of the king? Herod, the Edomian. The same Herod who had killed his wife, his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law, three of his sons, 
The same Herod who had ordered, would later order, the execution of all male children in the Bethlehem area under the age of two. A despot, a tyrant, a paranoid, and a builder. This same Herod would be the one who would restore the temple in Jerusalem later destroyed by Titus and the armies of Rome. This Herod greets these travelers and as they explain the auspicious sign that they have seen that has drawn them to the area and their search for the Israelite king, Herod says, inform me also that I might worship him and his murderous history should alert us immediately. He had no such intent. He had hoped to find this child to do away with him, for competition would not do. The wise men do indeed continue to follow the star. They end up in Bethlehem having consulted with people about where such a king would be born, and the prophecies were very clear, Micah particularly. Bethlehem of Judea, five miles south of Jerusalem, a little town. Hills all around. And they go to Bethlehem. By now, Jesus is not a babe of a day or a week old. By now, Jesus is thought by historians and by biblical scholars to be at least a year old and maybe a year and a half. Gifts are presented of prophetic proportion. Gold, which is one of the colors of Epiphany, gold is presented, why? Because it is a kingly gift. You know, as my, uh, I had a relative who was fond of saying when he would give me money, it may not be the right size, but it's always the right color. Isn't that true? You're right. A, a 10 would have been much happier as a 20, I freely admit. A 20 would have been much prettier with a 5 in front of it. But who can complain? It is, after all, the right color. Gold is the same way. You can't lose with a gift of gold. It's a kingly gift. And it would be a gift that in translation would support a family that had to flee to a foreign place for a period of time. It's almost the inverse, isn't it? When Israel left Egypt, they were given gifts of gold. And now when the Savior of the world must flee Israel for Egypt, friends from the Middle East bring him gold. Frankincense and myrrh were gifts along the same price point as gold. They were nearly ounce for ounce the same value. Tremendously precious spices used in embalming. They point forward along with that sarcophagus, that stone-carved manger that Jesus was likely laid in, to his future and to his destiny, to the type of savior and king that he would in fact be. Revelation. An unfolding is occurring as the story gets told. 
And it's not the Christmas story. It's the story that follows. The wise men, we call them, were discerning enough to realize that Herod had nothing good in mind. He decides that he, the the wise men decide that they will not, in fact, turning back to Matthew, that they will not, in fact, tell Herod of their discovery. They worship the king and give him their gifts. And having been warned in a dream, they go not back to Herod, but return to their own country by another route. I love the God that we serve, who in this uh, time in which Israel is the chosen vehicle, if you will, for the salvation of the world, his spirit is active and alive with other peoples in other places. Peoples with minds to listen and hear. And God appears to three non-Jewish wise men who are in our definition astrologers and tells them the truth and they listen and obey. Wise men indeed. Servants of a greater God perhaps than we've given credit for. And Joseph likewise is warned in a dream. He must take his family and leave And as I've already mentioned, goes to Egypt and Herod orders the death of all boy babies two years and under. And there is great weeping and wailing in Bethlehem of Judea. A terrible slaughter occurs. Needless, unfruitful, criminal. And this is the unfolding. We don't have record of how long Jesus was in Egypt, except that he waited until it was safe, until Herod had died, and they got word of that, and then returned. So we can know approximately, not precisely. As Jesus comes back to Nazareth, or back to Judea, He has time between that returning and the beginning of his official ministry and his baptism, which will be the next point of unfolding, the next point of revelation. But in this season, let's not miss these these markers. Let's not miss these moments, these signs, these parts of the story that we've generally compacted and assigned because an identity is being revealed Prophecy is being fulfilled. An identity is being exposed. We're not dealing with an ordinary babe born in poor circumstances. We're not dealing with an ordinary child celebrated ostensibly and auspiciously by angels, but who only sing before shepherds. We're not worshiping one who is king of the Jews in heritage only. 
or name only, but is of the line of David. And more importantly, one who speaks to Jews and Gentiles. One for whom the good news transcends the boundaries and identities of clan and nation. We see in the circumcision and the naming one who will save and the fulfillment of the prophecy and command. We see in the wisdom of Simeon and Anna and in their aged search, their long search, a declaration of fulfillment, not once spoken, but twice witnessed. Two witnesses always pointed to a truth. And two witnesses speak in the temple that day to an eight-year-old babe and his parents. Mine eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. I can go. I can die in peace. A blessing has come. In those from other parts of the world with other traditions, open to the Spirit, listening, looking, seeking, they too surely find and bring their best with them. Gifts that will sustain and gifts that prophetically propel us to a conclusion, a sad one. This will be a king who will die. This will be a king whose saving gift comes in a form that we wouldn't expect, that of sacrifice. In Jesus' baptism, which we'll talk about another week, and in his early ministry and in the ministry of John, we look forward too, to more pieces of the puzzle. Things that help us better understand what it meant when it says Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and with his fellow men. So in the season of epiphany and revelation, in these unfoldings, may we find ourselves truly blessed. Amen. And now may the grace of this Jesus who has come and who's been spoken of and prophesied about and declared, may he reign in our hearts and reveal to us the truth about the salvation we experience and the grace that is ours. Amen.